So I wanted to share my testimony. I guess a testimony uh, is just a story about the goodness of God. And so a lot of those major ones that are big markers in my life have happened around Christmas. Um, I grew up in a, a small town in Ohio called Hudson, Ohio. It's kind of like a northern version of Mayberry. <laughs> so I was in a small town, and I lived in a... Uh, I lived on a boarding school campus, which was a very nurturing community. I have a wonderful family. I'm one of five kids. I'm the middle child and uh, was raised in a church. Sometimes when people share their testimony, they're talking about a story of their salvation story. And those are so moving. Sometimes people uh, fall far away from God and come back and they repent and they have these amazing stories. And so sometimes uh, over the years, I kind of started to think, well, what's, where did I get saved? I was kind of raised in the church, and uh, I felt like the Lord revealed that to me, that uh, I got saved at Christmas. So I just wanted to share a little bit of that. It happened around the, uh, when I was age 10, and um, I did everything. Uh, my two older brothers, one's two and a half years older than me, and one's a year and a half older than me, and then I came along. So we were Jimmy, Stevie, and Danny. So whatever Jimmy and Stevie did, I did too. They played baseball. I played baseball. They played ice hockey. I played ice hockey. They got a, a paper route and delivered Cleveland Plain Dealers door to door at uh, 6.30 in the morning. Pretty soon I had one. And then they joined the church choir, the youth choir. And so I did with my friends. And on this particular Christmas, uh, this kind of the biggest event um, for a kid was Christmas. I loved Christmas all along. I loved the Christmas story. And at this particular Christmas, for whatever reason, they asked the, the children's choir, uh, maybe we saw a little bit of why here, uh, they asked the children's choir to be the choir for the Christmas Eve service. It was uh, just a service that I loved. And on this particular time, so I'm in the children's choir, I'm dressed in my turquoise robe with my white sash, and I'm looking out kind of like I am right now at the congregation, the pastor's standing a little bit lower than me, and most of the service was singing Christmas songs like the ones that we just did, singing carols. And at the end of the service, they passed out candles, handheld candles, and they shared a flame and uh, everyone's faces were illuminated as they sang Silent Night. And as a young boy of around 10, I looked out, and just the beauty of seeing all of the congregants with their faces illuminated, the awe. I didn't have language for it at the time, but the presence of God was heavy there. And in my, in my boy heart, I just knew that the story was true. I had childlike faith, and... Uh, I, I didn't pray a prayer or anything. I just knew that the story was true. And so um, why do I feel like, why did I feel like I got saved there? Well, the Bible says that when you get saved, you're a new creation. And so everything changed for me at that point. When I went to church previously, I would sit up in the back of the balcony where no one could see me and my friends, and we would get, you know, scribble on the uh, bulletin, and play hangman and things like that, and try not to make too much noise where anybody would correct us. I was pretty much ignoring the ser sermon. 
But after that, I would sit down with more of the grown-ups, and I was listening to the pastor, and each week was a little bit like a cliffhanger. I was sitting on the edge of my seat, just trying to think, like, what is he going to say next? And he opened up the word, and he illustrated it, and it started to make sense to me, and I started to grow. I started to, things that I had done without giving it another thought, suddenly I felt convicted to not do those things anymore, and I started to really grow. When I uh, was 13, my father, who is an English teacher at a uh, private boarding school, got a sabbatical year, a year of kind of rest and break to travel. And he uh, decided, since he was an English teacher, he wanted to go to England. So as an eighth grader in 1979, I went with some of my family. Two of my brothers were, were elsewhere. My older brothers were elsewhere. I went with my younger siblings and my parents, and we lived in England in a town called Stratford-upon-Avon, where Shakespeare was born, and attended a church there, a Church of England, like a medieval cathedral with a boys' choir, and we had, um, we kneeled for prayer, and we had communion every Sunday, and really felt the presence of the Lord there. It was a year of great spiritual growth, partly because financially, without going into detail, we had a fraction of the income that we had back in Ohio. And the exchange rate was not favorable. It was about th almost $3 for, uh, $3 for every pound. And so we were really scraping by. And as we came into December, to be honest, we ran out of money. We didn't have money even for food. And we really kind of thought, what kind of a Christmas is this? I don't even know, you know, my dad, I could see the stress on my parents that they were coming into Christmas and no money for gifts, much less, no money for food, much less gifts. And as we approached, as we got into the last week for Christmas, the mailman brought a letter. It was from somebody back at the school uh, we were from. And they opened up the letter and it had a check in it. From, with money that the previous person who had been on sabbatical the year before had remembered around Christmas that money got short. And so they got together as a party and they said, hey, let's, throw, let's get some money for Hal and Sue. And they, they sent the money, and we really felt like that was the Lord providing for us in a miraculous way. And so we had a, a, a Christmas. My mother in her uh, suitcase had brought like a, an eight-inch pop-up tree and put it in a mixing bowl, and they took she took my dad's T-shirt and wrapped it around as a base, and we made uh, things to, to cover the tree with popcorn and uh, things that we made around the house. And each of us got a present for a couple dollars, and we were able to, to eat. But the, the joy that we had, the way that we remember that, we've had a lot more lavish Christmas since we've been back in America. But for the family that was there, we always look at that and say, wow, that was the greatest Christmas, because we really experienced God. It was really amazing. So that kind of catapulted our family. We felt really close to God as we came back. And I'm back in my home church now in America, 14, 15. And I started having these experiences. When the pastor would preach, I felt, uh, I heard the, a voice telling me, that's what I want you to do. I want you to do that. And here I am, I was thinking, wow, I'm a shy person, and this guy is getting up and speaking in front of like 300 people every week. And I thought, boy, that's a stretch. 
But then he would crack open the Bible and he would read from it. And I was a horrible oral reader. And I thought, wow, I can't imagine that I could do that. I had doubts. As I grew 16, 17, a lot of my friends started to party and uh, they were sneaking around doing stuff. And I started to feel like, I feel like I'm like a little kid. Like they're growing and they're having these experiences. Maybe they're having the real fun. And so I started jumping over the fence to the other side like they were and living a double life. So I was doing things that obviously my parents did not endorse and they weren't teaching me at church. I left for boarding school, went for a year in the Boston area, and then I went to, to college. By then I didn't need to live a double life. I was at this place that was a secular place. They were trapped in kind of like the 1960s and 70s. And um, there maybe are some children here, so I won't go into detail, but um, I was living a very selfish lifestyle. I was feeling like I'm the captain of my ship. I'm running my own life. And um, was very self-centered. And I was exploring like self-help and psychology. I wasn't really relying on the Lord. While I was in college, I went to church one time that entire time. After college, I wanted to get out of the Midwest. My dad said, I'm going to make a man out of you. And I said, I don't know what that means. He said, I'm going to buy you a one-way ticket to Hawaii. You're going to live with your brother. So I packed up a hockey bag. I flew to Hawaii, started living with my brother, who was a naval pilot who was stationed out there with my brother and a wonderful sister-in-law who tolerated me. And I eventually, after some time, got a really good business job in Honolulu and moved out. And there I was. I was in paradise. I was a captain of my own ship. And I, I started making good money. And I thought, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe I've got the answers. Um, around that time, my brother called me in and said, hey, you know, Cece and I are going to go to a Christmas service. Do you want to come? And I said, sure. Very nonchalant. When Sunday came, woke up, put on my Aloha shirt, put on my slacks, got on my shoes, drove in my truck, went up to Mililani. Not, you know, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I know the drill. I wasn't living like a Christian. So I get in there, I sit down next to my brother, and they start singing Christmas hymns. Like when I was a kid. And then I had no box for this, but the presence of God came on me. And I started crying. An ugly cry. An embarrassing, humiliating cry. Next to my brother, who's a naval pilot. And not, you know, it's like... Uh, I didn't know what was going on. And then I started hearing the voice of Father God. And he was saying, you're my son. You've been running from me. If you keep running from me, you'll still be my son. But why do you want to run? And at that point, I'm just thinking in my head like, I don't want to run. I've messed up my life. Me being the Lord of my life, I've messed it up. I have no answers. Um, being selfish has only made me feel more and more empty and depressed. And then he said, why don't you come back? And I said, yes. I didn't tell my brother about that for probably 15 or 20 years afterwards. But it changed my life. 
in my area of uh, around Honolulu, I, I started looking for a church. My brother and sister-in-law moved to Texas. The Navy moved them on. But I kept looking for the Lord. And then I went to a wedding in Reston, Virginia, where I met a fine young lady who caught my eye. And I moved to her area, and we started going to church together, eventually got married. So at that point, to be honest, I had had this experience of being the prodigal son. I ran away. I was in the pig pen. I'm like, why am I here? And the father showed up, and he invited me back, not as a servant, but as a son. And I was thrilled to be a son. I couldn't believe it, the goodness of God. Um, so we started growing, attending church, going to small groups, serving, and things like that, and we grew together. Uh, then moved to Winchester to start a small business and um, would have quiet times in the evenings with the Lord. And I had this habit sometimes of walking around, and I would go to this particular place. It was close to our house. The Hanley High School tennis courts had some kind of... Uh, cement stands where uh, spectators could watch the tennis. So I would sit there in the evening and I would pray. And one time the presence of God came and he said, uh, remember that call? Remember when you were a kid and I called you? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's still a thing? Like I thought I was disqualified. Like I thought I had blown that. I, I was just happy to be a son. I didn't think for a minute that he was going to ask me to do more than just attend church and um, I came back to the house and shared it with Donna and I was shocked uh, so I started to try to my picture as a child was to do to work on a church staff that was what I thought I was called to do and when I tried to align with that it didn't quite work out and then I felt called to start a Christian school and I was involved in doing that with other people and then I, I felt the Lord lead me to get involved in daycares, and then I had been trained to be a counselor, and I started doing Christian counseling, and then uh, at Crossroads, they uh, licensed me to be a pastor so that I could do weddings, and I've had the opportunity to preach in different churches, and I even got to participate and be involved in my father-in-law's funeral, so I don't say that in any way to... Uh, say, look at me. I'm trying to tell you that God is so gracious of all the things he could have said to me in that church in Hawaii. It would have been true. He could have said, I revealed myself to you, and you said, no thanks. If he had said that to me, he would have been right, but that's not what he said. The Father heart of God is loving um, many people in counseling settings sometimes have told me essentially, I want to go back to God, but I need to clean myself up first. And I say, no, that's not how it works. I came to him dirty, and he cleaned me up. It's the goodness of God. If you all, everyone here, it may not be on a church staff, but each of you have a destiny, a calling, work set aside for you in advance. God wants you to do. He wants to go on an adventure. And he'll, if he calls you to it, he'll provide you all that's needed. When we started the Christian school, we had no money, no connections, not much of a vision, and he provided all that we needed. He's provided it all along. He'll do that for you too. So...
this is a season, you know, and I think of Christmas and I think of salvation and the, the child uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes come to save us. He saved me. The Father's heart is good for all of us. Um, this is a time to draw near, no matter what your circumstances are. And um, as we've been studying in our small group, Anna and Simeon. So uh, these were people that were in the Christmas story, if you reread it. And each of them were over 100, and God used them to prophesy over his son. So it's, you're never too old. You know, when I uh, got the calling again, it didn't happen right away. I started to panic. I was thinking, this isn't going to work out. What if I get in front of Jesus and I haven't done this? You don't need to worry. It doesn't matter how old you are. God will give you another on-ramp. So thanks for listening. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this life that you give us to live. And Lord, there's times that we... We take the life that you've given us to live and, and we get off the road and we get in ruts and we crash the life. Thank you, God, that you don't point out that we crashed, that we left you, but that you say with love, welcome back. You're my son, my daughter. Maybe there's some here right now that can identify with Dan's story. And you recognize you haven't come back yet. God said you're welcome to come back. It's good. The love is good. The love is real good. All that you did that you think separates you from him is washed away. Maybe there's someone here that say, you know, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus this morning. I'm ready to say yes. I've been running long enough. If that's your indication, just slip up your hand. Just real briefly, just slip up your hand, okay? Anybody else? Slip up your hand, okay? Anybody else? Slip up your hand, yes? All right, great. Wow, bless you. That's fantastic. The Lord receives you. The Lord knows how to handle everything that you're facing. He wants to come in in a new way, in a fresh way. Bless you. Father God, thank you for those that you are tugging on right now, God, and their indication that they want you to come in in a new way. God, come in and fill their heart right now. Thank you, God. There's nothing that we can do that can shut you out. It's all we have to do is say yes to Jesus, and he comes in. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Wow, he's really good. He is amazingly good. Do you like birthday parties?
Yeah, I enjoy birthday parties as well. It's great to be able to have uh, cake or cookies or candles. Sometimes we jump off the traditional means, and some people have cupcakes these days, and some people like cakes, and some people do cookies depending upon the taste. But it's always great to have a good birthday party, isn't it? Uh, it's fun to have a surprise birthday party at times. I've had a few of those. I didn't like them. <laughs> but uh, last one I, the last one uh, I remember is we have one for Pastor Chris. And he flipped over into another decade, and we're like, well, let's do a surprise party for him. So we all, we all cooked one up and invited him to his house. And I can still see him walking in the door. His eyes were big as saucers. He was just dazed for a while, like, what is going on? And we had a great time of celebration. So, uh, yeah, we always like surprise parties are fun when we're planning them and other people are not. I got to thinking about uh, the candles on a cake. You ever do the research into that as far as why do we have candles on a cake? I didn't really know before. We just always did it. Uh, what I found out was the Greeks actually were the, were the ones that started the candles on a cake. And the reason they would put them there is that they would be a, 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 a tribute to their favorite god and then also to ward off evil. That's what they believed about candles on a cake. Well, the Germans picked up this. The Germans said, well, we're going to Christianize this. And they said that uh, when you put candles on a cake, that represents the light of life. I like that. So the Germans, they, they took from the Greeks and they said, no, we're going we're gonna to change this thing off of any god. And we're going to put candles on a cake to, to represent the fact that the light of life is what we celebrate in a birthday. Now, when you're in a secular society, what do they do? They light the candles and they make a wish, right? Make a wish and then blow out the candles. I don't know why you blow out the candles. Because it seems like that's, a, that's kind of a, 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 the opposite things to do. You shouldn't let them burn. But then what would happen? The wax get in the cake and wax and cake, they don't mix well. But we all love a good birthday. Obviously, the kids were celebrating here this morning. I want to talk about a birthday that never ends. I was drawn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's a familiar verse that was, that was written way back in Isaiah's day as a prophetic word about Jesus coming to earth. And it says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hence, the birthday party that never ends. And so as we look at this today, one of the things that we learn, one of the aspects about Jesus is he calls himself light. And uh, previous to the verses that I just read, it actually shares about this, this aspect of Jesus being light. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So a few verses earlier than the ones that I've read, it talks about the fact that the world is in darkness. And oftentimes we don't like to, we don't think that way about the world being in darkness because we have the sun coming up every morning and at night we have the moon and the stars if it's not a cloudy night shining and then we have artificial light we can walk over to and flip a switch and we have light that comes on and so we don't think about the fact of the world living in darkness but that's exactly what the scripture calls us without Christ that we are living in 
darkness. And so we don't often like to, to think that way. We like to think of the fact that we, we are, um, uh, have some aspect of light within us, but the Bible doesn't describe us that way. And so I went and I looked up the word darkness, and I said, what does it exactly mean? And these adjectives came up when I, when I looked up the word darkness. It says, to, to live in darkness means that we live in misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. So that's what it means to be in darkness. And, 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 uh, and as, we, as we look at the world around us, we can actually see a lot of those traits in operation, can't we? People in misery. People that are, have, have either destroyed their lives or they have, uh, they're around things that are being destroyed, war and and famine, death, um, ignorance. Ignorance is not that, that you haven't learned. It's like you don't know the truth yet. That's living in darkness. Sorrow with no hope. Nick and I were involved in a, a funeral yesterday of, of someone that died young. And there was a lot of sorrow because we lost the future. And yet the a lot of the family had hope because they knew Jesus. But it was a difficult situation. So the world without Jesus just lives in sorrow. And then wickedness. People doing wicked things to one another. The world lives that way. Darkness. But the Bible says that when Jesus came that he brought light into the world. Some years ago, one and I went to Smokehole Caverns back in West Virginia. And if you've ever been in a caverns, oftentimes what they'll do at a certain point is they'll cut off all the lights. Right? And that is total darkness. And you're waiting for your eyes to adjust, and they never will. Because your eyes adjust to the light, and there's no light there. It's total darkness. And the longer you're in there, you can move your hand, and you can't see it. You can feel it, but you're in total darkness. And that's what the Scripture says that we are without the light of God in our lives or in, in the world. We have... Uh, night lights around our house. You know, we get up in the middle of the night, need to go somewhere and do something, and so we don't have to turn on the overhead lights. We've got night lights that guide us everywhere. But Jesus, uh, the, the Scripture says that without God in our lives or in the world, we're in darkness. A couple of Scriptures relating to, to Jesus being the light. John 1, 4 and 5 says, To him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, we, we can gain some understanding about what Jesus did when he came into the world. He brought light. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Again, that's not something we think about because we encounter light and darkness. But this scripture says in him, there's no darkness in God. If you've ever read ahead to the book of Revelation, you will discover there's a holy city that those of us that have trusted Christ with our life will get there one day. And there's not going to be a sun, nor a moon, nor stars in that place, but there will be plenty of light, and the light is coming from God himself. He's going to provide the light for that holy city that we'll live in. It won't come from something he made. It will come from himself. Amazing. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. 
The second aspect I want to bring out is the birthday of Jesus birthed a family. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, a child is kind of generic in a sense, but when you name a son, what you expect to have happen is that son's going to carry on the family name. And so it specifically states that Jesus was not just a child. He was a son with the expectation that he would carry on the family name that you and I would join in. We would join his family. Not in the natural sense, but in the supernatural sense. That we would have the opportunity to have his light come into our life and we could be born again. John 1.9 says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the testimony that John the Baptist had about Jesus. The light that gives life to everyone is coming into the world. A few verses later in John 12 and 13 of chapter 1, he said, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So we see through Scripture that as we receive Christ into our life, we are born again into a new family that Jesus started when he came. Now the second aspect about this child and this family, that in being born into it, is that we're born into a new government in the New Testament, we call it the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, they said he will, he will start, inaugurate a new government. Now, this government wasn't one where a, a few were in rebellion and, and, and pulled together and drew up a constitution and had three branches of government so they would balance each other out. No, this is not the kind of government Jesus formed when he was born. He formed the kind of government that was backed by heaven and when he came into the world, he said, I'm going to start a government that I want you to join, and this is going to be the family. This is going to be how things will run. He's king, and we're his sons and daughters, and we're going to be in this government, this family, and it's going to take over the whole world. Wow, the kingdom of God is around the whole world today. We celebrate the body of Christ around the world. It's the kingdom of God. It's advancing it's never decreasing. It's always increasing. What is this thing about government? I looked up the word government, and it said that government means to have rule, to have dominion, and to have the prevailing power. And I begin to think that not all nations around the world, they have, usually they have some form of government but it doesn't mean that that named government has the ruling power in place, right? For instance, Haiti right now, 60% of the government of Haiti is run by gangs. They are the ruling power, not the named government. You got other nations that the military is in rule, not the named government. The military has the ruling power. Sometimes you might be in a, in a, in a country where the people are in power, and usually that's very chaotic until it gets itself worked out. And Jesus says, I'm starting a new government at my birth. And I'm the king, and I have the prevailing power. And I want to share it with you. And I want you, again, to join 
what my goal and plans are for the earth, and that is to have people come into relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. So the other thing it says about his government, he says it's going to be on his shoulders. I uh, had the opportunity back in the mid-90s to visit a nation that had been under communism for 40 years. And even after the people were free from the communist rule, they still walked around with their shoulders drooping. They still carried the weight of that communist regime even though they were free. And Jesus said, this government that I'm forming, it's going to be on my shoulders. I'm going to carry the weight of it. I'm not going to droop over. If, you, if you're carrying too much weight yourself, then you need to move it over unto Jesus. Because he, when he carries the weight, he is strong. He is confident. He is like, I, 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 maybe, not, I maybe don't like going to the cross, but I'm going to lean into it strong because this is God's will. Because I want to set my, his people free. He said the government would be on his shoulders. And sometimes we take too much on our shoulders. And we need to then move it over unto his shoulders so that we can stand straight. And that's the kind of government that you have. You probably have had somebody that uh, you've had something too heavy to carry by yourself. You've had that? You need some help to move something or carry something. Will you help me carry this because it's too heavy? In the same way with us, uh, what we had been handed from our original parents, Adam and Eve, handed on down to our own parents. We were handed a nature of sin that we couldn't shoulder ourselves. You know, the interesting thing that Jesus came and did for us, things that we can't do for ourselves. We can't change our own life. But he can. We can't change anybody else's life. But he can. We can't fix a broken heart. But he can. We can't change difficult situations and turn them around for good. But he can. We can't do enough to ever be right for God to accept us. But he can. That's why he needed to come and bring that light into our life. What an amazing God he is. And so in closing, I want to share with you four ways for us to respond to the light of Christ. And as I, as I uh, talk about these um, responses to rebirth. We call it, when Jesus comes in, we have a, have a rebirth that we begin to live that way. And I'm going to give you four responses that we as God's people can do when we have the light of life within us. If we practice these things, they will actually be more light in the world in which we live. Not only for us, but for others. If we would practice these four things. The first one is to share the hope that you have within you. Share the hope that you have within you. And as a result, you'll have more light. 
that will come into your life. Let me give you a, a scripture. In uh, Isaiah 9, uh, a few verses before I read, it says, You have enlarged a nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. There's a lot of rejoicing coming in because there's hope. If you're in a dark place and you suddenly see light, you're going to get hope. And as a result, light will come into your life. The second thing that I think we should practice is to sow into dark places with people in need. So, in the dark place, is it getting lighter in here or is it just me? Oh, wow, this, this message is working. So, in the dark places with people in need. This is great. Matthew 5, 15 and 16 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. The next thing that we need to do to allow more light to shine is to surrender our life daily to the Lordship of Jesus. To surrender our life daily to the Lordship. Wow, there's people in here. Surrender our life daily to the Lordship of Jesus, and as a result, there's more light that's going to be shining out through our lives to others in the situation that we encounter. Let me read a scripture that uh, echoes that. In 1 John 1, 7 and 9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all all unrighteousness. Wow, hallelujah. Isn't that good? As we surrender to life daily, more light comes into our life. And then the final thing that we can do in order to shine more light is to shine together with the family of God. To shine together with the family of God. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God rises upon you. See, Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Wow. Are you okay with the light? All right. Maybe some of you were thinking, oh, about time. <laughs> I understand that, you know, Aesthetically and camera-wise and everything, uh, the, the need of having proper lighting in a place. But don't ever get to the place of thinking just because it's a little less light there than it is up here that somehow you that sat there are a little more in the dark with God rather than those standing up here. Because we're all the same. It's an artificial sense of providing a way to have a quality of, you know, experience that we use lighting, but never, never get to the place of thinking because I'm sitting in the dark looking at the light that somehow I'm less than or I could never be as close to God as those that are on the stage in the light. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lie from the enemy. 
And so I understand how we sometimes dim the lights in the audience and it's lighter on stage, but never, ever receive the lie that you aren't good enough to be close to God. That He doesn't love you as much as He might love or you think that He loves the leaders that are here. We're all the same. We all need His love. We all need His forgiveness. We all need His help. We all need His strength. And yet as we practice these four things uh, personally, as we, as we share the hope that God has put within us, as we, as we sow into places that are difficult, again, our light shines as we sow. As we, as we surrender our lives daily to the Lordship of Christ, again, our light shines brighter. And as we shine together as the body of Christ, our light shines even brighter. Let's pray.